For life to work right, relationships need to work right. It's the way God made us. God has gone to great lengths to relate to us, so we have potential to build incredible relationships with one another. Gaining God's perspective will give us greater purpose, bring peace in the midst of conflict, and help us to restore relationships. God made us to be relatable. All right, hello everyone. Hey, my name is Luke, and I'm, I'm going to introduce you to some folks here. I'm very excited to do that, uh, but let me set it up. We talk all the time about God's love unleashed to us, and when we are open-handed with that, and we serve and pray and give and create and bless and let that love flow through us, all kind of opportunities open up. Think of our multi-site ministry growing, Bellar Campus 2.0, Abingdon Campus coming in the fall, and opportunities to plant brand new churches open up. We partner with others in the Baltimore, D.C. region, and here today to tell you about a new church that's starting this fall in Owings Mills, led by Tim Wolf and our own mountain girl, Tamara Monroe. Give it up for them. All right. I heard, I heard you have some fans. Apparently. That's awesome. We're, we're very glad to have you. So Tim grew up in Kingsville. Um, this is United Church. That, you're the lead planter for United Church uh, starting this fall. Grew up in Kingsville, married to Maria, five kids, the Wolf Pack. Right? That's right. <laughs> and uh, your family was part of CCC, which Mountain helped start in 2006. That's right. And now CCC is leading this effort to plant there. So kind of a generational church planting. We're our grandparents. We're are the grandparents. Here we go. <laughs> and Tamara, you might recognize her. She's a mountain girl, went to Falson High School, uh, been singing on our stage, led in student ministry, and served in all kinds of different ways, prepared you now for this in Owings Mill. So Tim, tell us, why are you planting in Owings Mill? Well, we say we have 160,000 reasons why we're starting a church in Owings Mills, and that's not hype or exaggeration. That's in the five-mile radius of Owings Mills. There's 160,000 people that are not going to any church or following Jesus Christ, and we're starting a church for them. We're starting a united church for people who don't go to church. And so when we think about that area, uh, it's for 160,000 reasons that represent those people. And it's not just about numbers, because when my wife and my family, we were thinking about where to start a new church, we were... Uh, evaluating and looking at a couple different areas. And when we visited Owings Mills in any area, we would ask what people like about that community, what they dislike, what's missing from the community. And then the final question we'd ask is, if you could recommend a church, what church would you recommend? And Owings Mills stood out to us because a majority and most of the answers that we received from people were, I don't know. And to think of an area where people have no recommendation of a church means there's no safe place to learn how to find and follow Jesus Christ. And so when we think about why Owings Mills, there needs to be a place. It's a safe place. It's a, a place that's known in the community for being for people. And so that's why we're starting in Owings Mills. And why are you called United Church? Yeah, so really the name United just reflects the fact that Jesus' prayer was for his church to be one. And we're so much stronger together as a, as a church body when we can look beyond our differences and just be united around the basics of the Christian faith. And so um, we, we just try to keep the main thing the main thing and really focus our energy on loving people and helping them get connected to God. And so I'm excited uh, about United and being a part of United Church because that's the vision. 
That's, that's the heart behind it. That's the passion. We want to, to create a place where people, regardless of where they come from or what their life's been like, where they can come and be their realest selves and just have a place to, to belong and to be a part of and where they can not only find love and community, but also an opportunity to just encounter Jesus and to explore what life with him is like. And so I'm excited to have, to have a place where I can invite um, my friends and my new neighbors out in Owings Mills and where they can belong before they ever have to believe or behave in a certain way. And another motivation of United is uh, to reflect the community of Owings Mills. If you're not familiar with Owings Mills, that's a very diverse um, area of Baltimore County. Uh, we're going to be meeting in Owings Mills High School, and that high school has over 30 languages that are represented as the first language of um, students that attend there. It's the highest ESOL um, school in Baltimore County in terms of high, uh, high school. And so it's not just uh, ethnically diverse area, though. It's also culturally diverse. It's racially diverse. It's economically diverse. And so we see United as a church where regardless of what, where your background um, or ethnicity or culture is, that you can unite, un unite under the umbrella of Jesus Christ. I mean, of all places in this world, the one place that should reflect the diversity um, that is expressed in this world is the Church of Jesus Christ, where Jesus prayed that the kingdom of heaven would be reflected on earth. And we believe that looks different and that sounds different. And so if someone wanted to be a part of that, how would they get connected? Okay, well, I think everybody here can be a part of that right now. And pull out your phone right now. This is one of the rare times you might hear a pastor say, pull out your phone. <laughs> uh, so pull out your phone. And if you go onto Facebook and look up United Church MD, you can like us on social media and follow our journey. And when you see us pop up in your feed, you can pray for us. And so that's my request of everybody. It's just pull out your phone. And when you see us in the feed, pray for us for 30 seconds. Uh, because what we want to do in Owings Mills is far beyond what we can do in our own strength. We need the power of God. And that comes through prayer. So if you can please pray for us and create some momentum for us, even on social media, by liking us. Uh, if you know anybody that lives in that area, or maybe even you uh, might live closer to Owings Mills, or close in Owings Mills, um, uh, you can join us by coming to our launch team meeting next Sunday on July 9th. And you can subscribe to our mailing list on our website or uh, in the lobby. There's a sign-up sheet out there as well. Awesome. So there will be stuff at all of our campuses, information to, on United Church, and again, all social media outlets as well. And we're all going to have an opportunity to support uh, what you guys are doing. So we want before you leave this weekend, we're going to do something. We've done this before. It's called Change for a Dollar. And that's when on your way out at all of our campuses, there'll be a bucket there. If you want to drop a dollar in and make some change, not like four quarters, but make a change. It's going to go to uh, help this launch be awesome and support you in that way. Just, if you got a dollar and you want to drop it in, it's all going to go to United Church and help this be a great launch. So change for a dollar today on your way out. If you want to do that, you can do that and support uh, not just these folks, but what God is doing in Owings Mills. So uh, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord's strength be in you. May the Lord be with you. May he be out ahead of you, uh, preparing the way and turning the hearts of the people toward himself. God bless you and what you're doing. Give it up for these guys. United Thank, you. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. You know, camera. All right. All right, exciting, exciting stuff. God's love being unleashed in, in Owings Mills. We're going we're gonna, to uh, shift gears, turn a corner, and jump into the stuff that we have been doing for the last couple weeks in our series called Relatable. Talking about relationships. Oh, goody, right? Goody. I was thinking about this series when I was working in the yard this week. I actually got a picture of my yard um, right there, so it's pretty plain. I got a spot over there where I took out a, um, 
a, uh, what do you call it, fire pit. Nothing fancy, just some bricks in a circle, but we weren't really using it, and so I took it out a few weeks ago. And, of course, it leaves a little bear patch there, right? And I've been trying to get the grass to grow back, but it's just not coming. I'm even waiting and waiting. I think I have a picture, just a few weeds popping up in the spot. It's like it's not really coming in. And I should tell you, the method I've been using to try to get to the grass to grow has been the do-nothing-and-hope-for-the-best approach, right? It's kind of waiting for like grassy to maybe blow in from another yard and land like right in that spot and begin to develop a nice root system and develop some thick, healthy, full turf that would blend in with the rest of my yard. Just kind of thought if I hoped it would happen, it, it would do that, right? It would take care of itself without any intentional effort. And I realized that sometimes I uh, bring the same attitude into my relationship. I just assume that something uh, good will work out, that I would get a healthy and strong relationship. Something good and will happen in my relationship with my wife. I'm sure we'll be close. Something good will probably grow there. I never say that out loud, but I live that way sometimes. Uh, something will probably happen good in my relationship with God. That'll sort of take care of itself, I bet. Something good will grow there. I'll probably develop strong friendships and healthy community around me without much effort or risk. Something good will probably go there. Ever followed that line of reasoning? I think this series is calling our attention to both the fact that relationships do take work and that they are worth the effort it takes to make them work. Because in order for life to be what God intended it to be, relationships have to work right. We are relational creatures, and God wants to help us be relatable so that we can get the most out of life. That's what this series is about. And we're talking today about what is probably an overlooked relationship, at least in terms of how we often teach, the relationship with ourselves. If you are here last week or if you've hung around the Bible at all, you probably know that from Jesus' perspective, the two most important things in life are to love God and to love others. We talk in that way about the mountain walk, love God, love people, serve the world. We didn't invent it. We got it from Jesus. When he uh, boiled it down to those two important commandments and then told a story about serving other people and said, go and do likewise, that's the essence of it. And notice what Jesus does and what, what the Bible teaching does when this command is issued. There's an assumption made. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. The Bible assumes that we love ourselves. In Ephesians 5, it says, hey, husbands, uh, you ought to love your wife just like you love yourself. Uh, Leviticus, Romans, James, all those different authors pointing to the same thing. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so in order to help us know what love is, what it means to give love to another person, this is the approach that the Bible takes. And notice is that us humans have some natural inclinations to care for and feed ourselves, protect and preserve ourselves, work for the betterment of ourselves, look out for ourselves and fight for ourselves, uh, seek out opportunities and good fortune, try to soak up some enjoyment out of life, acquire for ourselves. We seem to do those things quite naturally. And, and the Bible says you take all of that energy that you spend doing those things and you use that for the good of other people. That's how you love. You fight for and protect and feed and care for others. That's how you love. And that's instructive, right? That's helpful. Even though we know that not everybody loves themselves well. Not everybody treats themselves this way. Again, in Ephesians 5, there are instructions to husbands. Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed it and care for it, just as Christ does the church. Now, we could say not so fast, because maybe we know people, or maybe even we ourselves have 
hated our body before. We have not, or we've not cared for ourselves well. We've neglected ourselves, and I, and I understand that. But I think it's still possible to understand how the Bible could assume that self-love is only natural. It is part of the default design, and that self-hatred or self-mutilation or degradation of any kind would be so unnatural, so against the way that God wired us. And after all, consider, we are created in the image of God. Unlike the rest of created things. The story of God and his people begins with God creating. Genesis tells it. God made the heavens and the sky and the earth, the light and the dark, and it was good. The sea and the stars, and it was good. The plants and the animals, and it was good. And then he made men and women in his image, and it was very good. We're the pinnacle of creation. The writer of Psalm 8 can hardly even believe it. He says, when I consider God, the heavens, the work of your fingers, you set the moon and the stars in place. What are human beings that you would even take notice of them? You, you've elevated us to a position just a little lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honor. What a privileged position we have. You, me, everyone has that. Not because we earned it, just because we are. The New Testament writer Paul, he explains that the God who made the world and everything in it, he gives life and breath and everything else to everyone. God did this so that people would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and so that they would even find him. But he's not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. We are God's offspring. You, me, everyone. You're not just a biped with opposable thumbs. We are God's offspring. God sustains his creation. Jesus says, look at the ravens. Seriously, he said, look at the ravens. Okay? He's not talking about football. He says, look, the ravens, they don't store, they don't harvest or plant, they don't store food in barns, but God feeds them. And aren't you so much more valuable than any birds? You just are. What an incredible status has been bestowed upon us just by being ourselves. Just by virtue of you being you, you bear God's image. You're crowned with glory and honor. You are God's offspring. You have access to and are near to God and you are valuable in God's eyes. So if all of that is true, I mean, of course the Bible would presume self-love. Of course it would assume that we would have a healthy relationship with ourselves and a healthy understanding of ourselves. It would be rooted in gratitude, right? Gratitude for the life that God has gifted us. Gratitude for the respect that God has for us, even though we haven't earned it. Gratitude for the irrevocable value stamped on each one of us by God. To the extent that we know these truths, it would be only normal for us to love ourselves, to give ourselves respect, to care for the life and the bodies that God has given us. Do you know these truths? Can you thank God for them today? Or are you having trouble seeing yourself as God sees you? Loving yourself as God loves you? Are you having trouble believing that the person you see in the mirror is truly worthy? 
Let's talk about that for a moment because that could be hard. Let me ask you this. This is something that the Bible wrestles with. What would you do if you saw someone who wants to do good but so often doesn't? And they can't really even figure out why. How would you love a person like that? Someone who would seem to have every ability and intention of doing good, but doesn't carry out their good intent. Instead, they do evil. They desire, they say they're about one thing, but they do the opposite. It's like they're trapped. They're held captive by desires that wreck anything virtuous that might come from their life. They are wretched and destined to die wretched. How would you love a person like that? The writer, Paul, was trying to answer that question. And the person that he's looking at is the one staring back at him in the mirror. With what I was just saying, I was basically quoting Paul's words about himself in Romans chapter 7. Maybe you've read that before, and even if you haven't, I bet you can relate to that. Because anyone who has ever risked being honest with themselves has found themselves frustrated by their capacity for evil, by their failures, even in spite of great effort, by their inability to bring about good, by the sin, whether you know it by that name or not, the sin that steers us into doing things that we hate. And it takes us down a path of despair that leads to, what a wretched person I am. Who will deliver me from this body that is subject to death? An apparent dead end that somehow in the next verse miraculously opens up into thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. Has anyone ever said to you, you should be ashamed of yourself? Maybe you've said that to someone else. You should be ashamed of yourself. Now I know that there are some of us who carry that belief with us and we are more than we should be ashamed of ourselves. We have a hard time considering ourselves worthy for God, for love, uh, for life. Uh, we have a hard time loving ourselves. We have a hard time being kind to ourselves and thanking God for the gift of life that he's given us. There are some cases in which shame has just railroaded us, and life suffers as a result. But it is still true that there are some times when we should be ashamed of ourselves. Paul, in Romans 7, is ashamed of himself. When he looks in the mirror and he sees how sin has overcome him, he is ashamed of himself. When a loving, a healthy grandmother grabs their grandchild, their misbehaving grandchild by the ear and sits him down and says, you should be ashamed of yourself, there's some wisdom there. And she tries to point out where, where the standard is and where they have run afoul. It is ultimately a gift to know those things. And Paul does. He sees someone in the mirror created in the very image of God, crowned with all the glory of humanity, but yet who has wrecked that image and tarnished that glory, who has run afoul of the standard, and he is ashamed. His shame arises from the, the awareness of God's magnificence and God's holiness, knowing that, of course, his conduct doesn't meet the standard. Uh, yes, he has mishandled the gift of life that God has given to him. But we would all be so blessed if we all, like Paul, would allow that realization to produce shame and would allow shame to do the healthy work that it is supposed to do and drive us not into a cul-de-sac of despair, but beyond it to God who delivers us through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what shame is meant to do. Not get us spiraling around in self-pity, but to drive us toward God, walking 
confidently, hopefully, humbly, and repentant toward God who delivers us through Christ Jesus our Lord. The God who recognizes us as his prized possession in spite of whatever we've messed up. Shame is intended to be a force that propels us toward God. If shame is only folding you in further on yourself because you're too ashamed to open up and be vulnerable with others or with God, then you will have a hard time loving yourself. And all of your relationships will suffer. You will be cutting off the flow of love to you, and it will be difficult for love to flow from you as well. Or if you have no shame, if you cannot be honest with yourself about your own failing, your own sin, if you have no sense for a standard beyond your whims, well, then there's no hope for growth. There's no hope for anything better in your relationships. There will be nothing calling more love out of you. There will be no standard of relationships and love to which you will aspire. But if we can be appropriately ashamed of ourselves and move honestly toward God in our shame, only then can we be elevated and declared valuable in the presence of God because Christ has paid it all for us. Only then can we be lifted and declared worthy in the presence of God because God has declared us that way. If we look in the mirror and we have a hard time loving that person, if we have a hard time forgiving that person, and we can move toward God in our shame, reading his word, letting his truth speak, surrounding ourselves with people who can model God's grace to us, if we can move toward God, then we can be fully loved. Then we can know God's forgiveness and have a chance at forgiving ourselves. Would you let God lead you there today? Would you be ashamed of yourself so that it would lead you to God? So that you would know your worth? So that you could love yourself? Would you let God lead you there today? How many sides uh, to a coin? Two? Someone said three? Come on. It's a coin, all right? Two sides to a coin. On the other side of shame is honor and pride. It's probably clear that some of us listening today, uh, the shame side of the coin was up. But um, for plenty of us, when we think about our relationship with ourselves and loving ourselves, we may be more apt to see the things that we're proud of. How would you love a person who was born into an honorable family line, was a member of the dominant class, completed the highest levels of education and training, was a high achiever in their field, maintained a spotless reputation, and widely respected as a leader. Especially if that person was the one staring back at you in the mirror. Again, I'm basically quoting Paul's words about himself this time in Philippians chapter 3. Paul was accomplished. He had a lot to boast about, and maybe you do too. Because of those things, he was esteemed by other people, and, and maybe that's True for you as well. I mean, if the name of the game is comparing yourself to others, well, then Paul is going to win that game in all kind of ways that count. And maybe that's true for you as well. And it might be that you have let your focus settle right there. 
maybe your estimation of yourself and your love of yourself is ultimately based on this comparison. I mean, even if you're not better than everybody, as far as you can tell, you're better than enough people to feel a sense of importance and to feel like you're worthy, and that helps you live with yourself. The value that you assign to yourself is based on the things that you take pride in and the qualities that you possess that are esteemed among the circles in which you run. And that mindset will produce a self-focused life, but it will not produce the kind of self-love that God intends. And this is, again, where we need to follow the path that Paul, this highly regarded man, travels. He's rattling off his pedigree and accomplishments, but it does not end in a cul-de-sac of self-importance. Rather, it moves far beyond to him saying, you know, I once thought all of those things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Look, everything, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so I could gain Christ and be found in him and be one with him. Look, it doesn't matter which side of the coin that you're talking about, whether things you're ashamed of or things that you're proud of, the foundation for loving yourself is built upon what Christ has done for you, on the value that he has assigned to you. Amen? That's a worthiness. It doesn't change. It's not altered based on what you do well or what you screw up. None of that affects your Uh, ability to take hold of Christ, none of it affects his desire to take hold of you. The only pedigree that matters is being found in Christ. The only accomplishments that count are Christ's death for our forgiveness and his resurrection for our life. Paul has that kind of clarity, even in spite of his accomplishments. Now, Paul's not saying don't do things well, don't achieve. No, he's the same one that testifies. Look, God made us. He crafted us. We're his workmanship, and he made us to do good work. So you take pride in what you do, and you do it well, not because doing so makes you worthy or achieve some kind of status, but because God already considered you worthy to gift you and equip you to succeed for his purpose and his glory. Look, the point is, whatever side of the coin you're talking about, whether you're proud or ashamed, let it lead you to God. Don't be distracted by what you've messed up or what you've achieved. You see yourself as God sees you. It's the only way we're going to have a healthy relationship with ourselves. only way we're going to be able to love ourselves. So we, we can kind of just lock that biblical perspective in. Let's make sure today that we identify just some very practical things. Uh, Some things that I think will equip us to build upon that foundation if we live out these practices. Number one, cultivate gratitude. Cultivate gratitude. In all situations, learn to thank God. Regardless of whether the sun is shining on you or not, you are of inestimable worth to God. You have an irrevocable value, and you have been given life as a gift just by being you. Number two, be honest with yourself. No relationship can flourish on lies, right? even the relationship with ourselves. So there's no use trying to fool ourselves into thinking we don't sin. When you sin, be ashamed and repent and receive God's grace. And on the other side, don't let your accomplishments fool you into believing that you're something that you're not. 
You're worthy because God said so, not because you made it so. Number three, do things you love. Find delight in the gifts and opportunities that God has given you. Fill up your tank, right? We've taught on this before. If you can imagine, we all have a tank, right? It represents our emotional, physical health and well-being. And a lot of things drain that tank, right? Life drains, relationships, responsibilities. A lot of things drain that tank and empty us. And only we are responsible for filling it back up for for being good stewards of the time and energy that we have doing things that bring joy and refreshment and refill that tank yeah there's plenty you have to do there's there's some stuff you get paid to do probably and the schedule can quickly clutter up with all of those things and just drain 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 and here's the key with increased drain we have to increase the fill it's precisely when you're the busiest that it's time to, to dive into a hobby, to go get a massage, to retreat with God, to stay in God's Word, to go on a date, to make time to play. I mean, giving, giving, giving to other people all the time, it sounds noble, and, and it is, but if you only ever give and never refuel, you, you won't have anything left to give. And then finally, number four, discipline yourself. Uh, relationships thrive within boundaries. And that's, that's true of our relationship with ourselves as well. We, we show respect for the life that God has given to us when we say no to things that harm us. And we give our best yes to things that give life. When we're self-controlled, we, we care for ourselves in a way that helps us be healthy in every sense of that word. I'd like to close with a living example of this. I found encouragement this week in hearing a little bit of my friend Justin's story. I'd like to invite him out here. Justin, come on out here. I think that we all might be encouraged if we could listen in to uh, some of the journey that he's been on lately. I uh, hope he makes, his, uh, makes a journey out here today because this would be uh, kind of awkward. Huh? You're a little late, dude. Huh? Huh? You were preaching a long time. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, so it's my fault. Hey, thanks for being here. Hey, Luke. Go ahead and have a seat. I know that you're more comfortable like out there than yes. you are up here, but I'm glad you're up here. And talking a little bit about just a, a recent stage of your journey, I think uh, it, you could say that it begins with the status of your relationship with yourself. That was kind of motivating you. Talk about that. Right. So the end of uh, last year and leading into the spring, I just didn't feel good about myself. I, I knew I was overweight, but I really wasn't admitting it. And uh, it was just kind of affecting everything. I was low in energy and... Uh, the thing was, it was affecting other people. About four and a half years ago, I felt a calling right here in church to get into coaching kids' sports. I got a bunch of kids, and I felt this is an area God was calling me to do. But recently, uh, I just wasn't doing the best I could with that, and it was becoming discouraging. Uh, here I am as a coach teaching these kids that, you know, practice hard, play hard, give your best effort, and I realized that I wasn't really doing that for myself, and it was affecting me and I think I was losing credibility with the kids and and uh, I just didn't want to be that guy that's not practicing what I preach right. so I, I just knew it was time for a change and it just uh, yeah. that's where I was at and what what change did you make what'd you do well you know thankfully our, our church here uh, the series we had recently everybody matters series was um, something very intriguing to me it was, it was interesting the series talked about that where you are physically in your health uh, can and will affect your walk with Christ and spiritually. And when I heard that, it, it really 
uh, resonated with me, and, and I wasn't quite sure if I believed it. I was like, well, you know, I was kind of skeptical. Let, yeah. Let's let's see where this takes me. And you know, our, our church was um, advocating the the whole life challenge, and I was very grateful for that. There was a lot of people here at our church that were encouraged to do that, and I got a lot of encouragement from my family and friends here to to give it a shot. I mean, I felt I really had nothing to lose at that point, so I wanted to jump in and do the program and. I knew it would take some changes, some, yeah. some real changes. Uh, the program was, you know, you had to get some new disciplines. I had to have, you know, new disciplines with exercise and eating healthy, yeah. drink, drinking, drinking tons of water. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. Replace that with the coffee and right. the sodas and all right. that. Yes. Uh, sleeping, you know, getting good rest, exercise and stretching. So I started doing it and right away I was seeing great results. I was surprised how quickly... I was progressing. I was feeling better. I was having more energy. And uh, even this past Father's Day, um, my sister-in-law told me, he's like, you're just in a better mood these mm-hmm. days. And other people were telling me that. I was like, kind of felt motivated to keep going. And it really made a difference in relationships that I was having. And as I was coaching these two baseball teams, you know, for my kids uh, into the spring and heading into the summer, I felt more energy. I felt I could be a better coach and serve these kids. And I was actually doing what I was telling them to do, and I was more engaged on the field and had more energy, and it just was a much, much better place. Yeah. And, and yes, I did feel spiritually I was growing. Um, you know, I'm in a 6 a.m. Uh, Bible study, men's study, <laughs> and in the past, I hate to admit it, but I overslept. I just was tired, and I'd, I'd miss it periodically, but that wasn't happening anymore. I was more rested, and I was energetic. I was shown to my men's group, and being fed and being alive and really growing spiritually. So there was definitely a connection with being more healthy to increase where I was with my walk. And it's led you to do something now that you never thought you would do in your relationship with God. Talk about that. Yeah, so a few weeks into the challenge, the whole life challenge, I got an invite. Um, I got an invite here. <laughs> so still can't believe it. Yes, so I got an invite. You're doing it. I, I am, yes. I, I got an invite from um, FCA to go on a short-term missions trip to help them coach and run a basketball um, program in China. Yeah. yeah. FCA Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Yes, yes. Fully happy with them, support them. Yep. But in the past, I would make excuses. That's not for me. Right. Uh, you know, you got the wrong guy. You know, it would be easy for me to turn it down quickly. But this time, them, something was different. I... I um, was intrigued by it. I gathered more information, details, uh, found out more about it. All of a sudden, it was a possibility. And then when I spoke to my wife, she was so on board, so excited. She was uh-huh. encouraging me to do it. So it was like, became more than a possibility. It became more than a possibility. Yeah. Yes, yes. And um, I think just being healthier had me more in tune with God and being open to mm-hmm. plans that he had for me because that's his plan for me, and I certainly never would have planned that for me to do go on a short-term missions trip like that. And it's just, you know, I'm going to go now in faith. I'm still scared. I'm still nervous. and uh, But I'm going to go in faith and trust that God will provide and equip me for whatever I need. And um, that's what I'm going to lean on right there. So you started just caring for yourself, loving yourself well, and you've noticed an impact. You feel better. You're in better health. You're in a better mood. Your relationships with other people are going better. You're giving more love. You're more energized to serve. And your relationship with God is growing in ways 
that you never imagined. I mean, that's about right? Yes, yes, and, and I'm not done. I'm not done. I'm, I definitely, I love the thought of being on a journey, right? I've not arrived. You know, I'm going to keep going. We have exactly two weeks left for the whole life challenge for anyone that's still doing that. I'm going to keep going, trying to keep improving myself all around as a whole. And, um, you know, no coincidences, but basically the end of our whole life challenge is when I go to China, you know, for 10 days. So, you know, I, I am going there and, and ready to go. And I tell you, I, I would not be here where I am um, if it wasn't for my wife either. You know, mm -hmm. she's just been incredibly loving. Uh, my wife, Karina, just very loving and encouraging, supportive. And it's just been awesome to have someone there who can uh, be there for you, even when you're not there for yourself, right. you know. And I, I want to be thankful for the church. You know, there's, you know, people that are here that have supported me. My men's group has just been solid and encouraging and supportive. And... Uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just thankful. I'm just going to praise God, give Him all the glory, because this, this is not me. This is just, you know, God using me to be a vehicle yeah. to, to serve and, and love others and go. And, and I'm going. Amen. I'm scared, but I'm going. Amen. Hey, <laughs> encourage Justin Leah. That's awesome. I, and I appreciate that. I mean, healthy relationships and everywhere at the heart of that. You start relating to yourself well, and I think. What you're saying gives evidence what the Bible is saying to us. When you relate well to yourself, that means so many good things in your relationships and every other arena with other people, your relationship with God, and you're living proof of that very thing right now. And so wherever you're at, whatever side of the coin is up, whether you're burdened by things that you're ashamed of or maybe you're puffed up on things you're proud of, uh, let's all of us see ourselves as God sees us. Let's uh, tune in to him. Whatever God needs to say to you today, I pray that you'll be open to it that you would not only be willing to commit to the work, to relate to yourself well and love yourself well, but that you would also know that it's worth it. Let's pray. God, thank you for uh, the truth of your word, for the ways that you're at work among us, and for making us these relational creatures. Thank you for not being far from any one of us and for desiring us to reach out to you. I pray that we would. I pray that you'd help us to know ourselves, uh, to see ourselves as you see us, to love ourselves well so that we might uh, love you, so that we might love others and fulfill uh, your calling and your commandments. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.